If I say the word sacrifice to you, what do you think of? There are all sorts of different images that maybe come to mind. Being a sports fan, one of the first things I think of is in baseball, if you're at bat and you've got someone on third base and you want them to get home, you'll sacrifice out. You'll hit the ball somewhere where you know you're going to get thrown out, but the person on third can score, and they call that a sacrifice. you got the Bible is full of illustrations about sacrifices. There are three kinds of sacrifices you actually see in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Actually, there's four. There's the burnt offering sacrifice where you completely burn up the offering and give it to God. There's a purification offering which you offer on, beh on behalf of your sins, and part of that is burned up, and then the priest would keep some of that aside. There were reparation offerings where you were making restitution for something you had done to someone else, and that often involved a burnt sacrifice. And then there was a fellowship offering where the people would come together, and part of it would be burned and given to God, part would be given to the priest, and then the people would share the rest of it, kind of like our fellowship meals. If you look up sacrifice in the dictionary using Merriam-Webster. The first definition is giving up something you want to keep to get or do something else or to help someone out. And we understand that as parents, grandparents, we often sacrifice things for our children and grandchildren. So we have a pretty good understanding of that definition. The second definition, which falls more in line with the, the biblical definition, is the killing of a person or an animal in a religious ceremony, usually to satisfy a god. And then the third definition is the actual person or animal killed in that particular ritual. I mention all that this morning because we're going to read here the first two verses of Romans chapter 12, and Paul introduces this idea of being a living sacrifice. So if you have your Bibles open, uh, before I read this, this is what we're going to look at over the next three weeks. Today we're going to look at what we are to offer as a living sacrifice. Next Sunday, we're going to look at what we need to avoid if we are being living sacrifices. And then the third Sunday is what we hope to achieve by being a living sacrifice. So keeping those in mind, especially the first one, what are we to offer? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. The first question we ask this morning is, what are we to offer? And Paul puts it right out there. He says, we are to offer ourselves. We're to give ourselves everything that we have to God. There should be a picture up there, I think. And this is a priest with a lamb in front of the altar. And in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, they were very familiar with what it meant to sacrifice things. If you sacrifice something, and I already mentioned the four different kinds, the burnt offering, the purification offering, the reparation offering, and the fellowship offering, you understood that the animal that you were going to bring was going to what? It was going to die. In baseball, to use the illustration, if you sacrifice yourself at bat, you're out. You have given up your opportunity to, to get on base. You've given up your opportunity to score so that someone else can. And in the biblical context, when you brought an offering, it had to die. And Paul uses this words, we have to be living sacrifices, which means something about us has to die. 
First Peter 2, 4, and, and these, these scripture verses should be up on screen. I hope I've got them in, in order. But First Peter 2, 4 says, You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. If you remember in the Bible, when you brought a sacrifice, it had to be the best. Typically, it had to be the firstborn of the animal that you were offering. There were to be no blemishes in the skin color. Lambs and goats, the fur was supposed to be perfect. No broken bones, no disabled animals. One of the reasons, if you remember when Jesus goes into the temple, he does this twice. He goes into the temple and throws out the money changers. One of the reasons he was so upset is because people were coming to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifices. And they had to be approved by the priest. You had to take your lamb or whatever you were offering and take it to the priest and they would overlook it and declare it good enough to sacrifice. That's the way it was supposed to work. But what you see happening there in the temple when Jesus gets really upset is you would bring your, say you would bring your lamb and you'd offer it to the priest and he would find something wrong with it. And he would tell you, well, you can't sacrifice this. But I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll buy it from you and then you can buy an acceptable sacrifice here. And they were giving people less than what the animals were worth. Then they had to go pay more than what the animal they were sacrificing was worth. So they were making a lot of money. And then what they would do is they would take the animal they had deemed unworthy and turn around and sell it to someone else. And it was a scam. And they made a lot of money. And they got very rich doing this. And Jesus sees this and he's like, well, you saw what Jesus did. He made a whip. He turned their tables over and he drove them out of the temple. And he did that twice. They didn't care about the quality of the sacrifices. The prophet Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, condemns the people for their improper sacrifices, their blemished sacrifices. You're supposed to bring the absolute best. We even have a hymn we sing, Give of your best to the Master. Peter and both Paul here in Romans talk about this spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. James 2.14, and I hope they're in order. If they're not in order, let me know. But James 2.14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you claim to have faith but do not have works? Can such faith save him? James is making the argument that if we claim to have faith, then our lives should demonstrate our faith. The things we do, our material possessions, our time, our abilities, everything that God has blessed us with, we are to be using all of it every single bit of it, to serve God. James continues in chapter 2 there. He says, If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And he continues, You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Everything that we have, our brains, our physical abilities, and a lot of us don't necessarily understand this, but our monetary resources, everything that we have has been given to us by God. We have the ability to work and make money. We have the ability to use our minds. 
And all of it is supposed to be used to serve the kingdom of God. And Paul says it's a living sacrifice. It means everything has to go to the altar. And that's the way they did it in the Old Testament. Everything went to the altar. And everything had to be laid out. It had to be the absolute best. And it has to be given completely, totally to God. In the burnt offering, they burned up every single bit of the animal. Nothing was left. I don't know about you, but when I think about what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 12, the idea of giving myself, and he says your bodies, that's your abilities, that's your mind, that's the things that you uh, produce by your work, which means our wealth. Everything is a living sacrifice. I think the place we have to start is understanding that none of this is really ours to begin with. It all comes from God. The reason God instituted the tithe and the offerings in the Old Testament was to remind people that He was the source of their blessing. When they brought their tithes in, the 10%, and actually when you go through the Old Testament, there were several tithes. So we're talking in the neighborhood of 30 or 40% of their possessions. That went to God first to remind them who was the source. When you go throughout the entire, when you go through the book of Exodus, and Leviticus, and you see all these rules and all these laws about the way all these things were supposed to be presented to God. I don't know about you, but if you read through that, I'm thankful that we don't live under that law anymore, that we live under the grace that the cross brought, because it was, it was to be honest, it was a beatdown. When you took your animals in, you had to go through the herd, you had to go through the flock and find the firstborn, and you had to make sure it was perfect, there was nothing wrong with it. And if there was something wrong with it, you went to the next one. You didn't take a maimed animal. You didn't take a crippled animal. You didn't take a blemished animal and offer that as a sacrifice to God because he would reject it. When you offered the portions of your grain, you made sure you brought the first portion. And while that was under the law, that was given to the people of Israel, I think the, the application still applies to us today as Christians. The New Testament says that we're supposed to give joyfully and generously and sacrificially. Sacrifice hurts. How many of us as parents or grandparents or as someone in charge of a child have given till it hurts to make sure your children and your grandchildren had the things that they need? Have you gone without so that your kids could have? I know my parents did it. I can look back now and see all the times when I got things that honestly I didn't need and my parents sacrificed. They gave up things that they wanted so I could just have stuff that I wanted and that's sacrifice. I think about parents, mothers who know that they can't raise their children. Got a good friend that just recently was connected with one of her children that she gave up at birth because she knew as a teenager she couldn't take care of this child. And that was a sacrifice, to give up your child so that that child could have a better life. And there are countless number of women who have done that. For the betterment of their child, they were willing to sacrifice that relationship and sacrifice that right. And it's an act of love. When I think about my giving personally, like I said, this affects me personally. This is a passage of scripture that convicts me. I said this to several of you. If I'm standing up here preaching it, it's because I need to hear it. And hopefully you can get something out of it too. But I can look back in my 50 years and there have been times 
when I didn't consider God first. And that's more than just in the money that I gave at offering or gave tithing. I didn't consider God when I thought about the time that I spent, my leisure time. I didn't think about God when I was working. Colossians 3.17, Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, and that pretty much includes everything, whatever it is that you are doing, and this doesn't exclude anyone in this room, from the youngest one in here to the oldest, whatever it is that we are doing with our lives, with our thoughts, with our minds, we are to do it in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It's literally our act of worship, and that's what Paul is saying here. Look back at verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this age, to this world. The world we live in tells us to go out and get whatever you can. I can remember years ago, there used to be a bumper sticker that you saw on cars back when people still did that. But I remember the bumper sticker clearly says, The one who dies with the most toys wins. And I can remember a few years later, somebody got smart and says, The one who dies with the most toys still dies. We're not to live our lives here in this world trying to achieve wealth or fame or popularity or power. Those things may come to us, but that should not be our motivation. Jesus himself said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything that you need will be given to you. Jesus was saying the same thing that Paul says here. If you're seeking God's kingdom above all other things, you have completely devoted your life to serving God. And sometimes that thing means we miss out on things here in this life. I can remember when I was about 12 years old, I had a really good friend. And this would have been 6th or 7th grade. I can't remember the exact grade. But there was a movie that had, had come out and we wanted to go see it. And I remember he called me on a Sunday afternoon. He was Roman Catholic. He went to church on Sundays. He went to the Mass on Sundays. So Sunday afternoon he called and said, Lee... Me and my sisters are going to see this movie. You want to go? And I was excited. Sure, Sunday afternoon. Mom, can I go to the movie with my buddy? She's like, nope. I'm like, why not? What time is it? I'm like, it's at 7. It's like, you're going to be at church at 6 o'clock. I'm like, well, I've already gone to church. I went to Sunday school. I went to church. It's just one time. She's like, no, you're going to be in church. You can go see the movie some other time. And I didn't understand it, and I was kind of mad with her. I appreciate that now all these years later because she was trying to help me understand even though it would just be missing one Sunday night service, that's it. There are some things that are more important than being entertained or my own personal leisure. And I would like to stand up here this morning and tell you that was the last time at the age of 12 that I ever had to deal with that, but I would be lying. I've had to make decisions over and over again throughout my life as I tried to live faithfully. And as I, I've gotten older, it's gotten a little bit easier. But there are still moments that at 50 years old, I have to make the same decisions. And I would imagine, I'm not going to ask you to share, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I imagine every single one of us in this room have a story or have an instance where we had to make this choice. Am I going to do something for the kingdom I'm going to do something that I want to do just for me. Now, let me be real clear. I think it's okay to take part in entertainment as long as it's wholesome entertainment. There's some things we just shouldn't watch. There's some things we just shouldn't listen to. There's some things we shouldn't read. 
I think it's perfectly fine to sit down and watch a football game. And if everything goes perfectly well today, I'm going to watch at least one today. But if that consumes my life, if that's, if that's all I'm about, and when I was younger, it was a lot harder to not do that. At the risk of offending or making myself look bad, I have grown up my whole life pulling for the New York Yankees, the UNC Tar Heels, and the Dallas Cowboys. And I know there's mixed reactions to all those here. And I can remember being a little kid and being devastated if one of those teams lost a game. I can remember just a couple of years ago that Carolina was in the national championship game and I thought they had tied it at the end and then the very next play, the kid from the other team comes and hits a shot at the buzzer and I was crushed. I was like, oh, I can't believe we lost like that. But I got over it. 20 years ago, I'd have probably been on the floor crying or worse. But I got over it. I think it's okay to listen to music and to read books and watch television shows and to go to movies, providing that they're wholesome. There's some things we're just supposed to avoid. We're going to talk about that next week. There are just some things we shouldn't put in our minds because they're just garbage. But I think it's okay to entertain ourselves and to relax. But so many people pursue that in their lives. If you look at the world we live in, if you look at our culture, and I'm not just picking on the young folks in here because I've got friends that are my age and all they do is sit around playing video games in their 40s and 50s. It's like they're permanent adolescents. I like to play video games every now and then, but I know people that are consumed and obsessed with video games. I have friends that are obsessed with sports or movies or music. And once again, there's nothing wrong with that, but if it consumes us and becomes the thing that we are about, then perhaps there's something we need to take to the altar and kill. We have to work for a living. We have to provide for our families, but I have known people that let their careers consume them, and that's all they are about. I've had jobs where I had to work on Sunday, so I'm not even talking about people that sometimes have to miss church for employment because I've had to do that. But I'm talking about people that are consumed and all they think about is making another dollar or getting that promotion. I think it's okay to have relationships, friendships, romantic relationships. I obviously think that's okay because I'm married. And that's my primary relationship in this life is with, with my wife. And that's, I believe that's the way it should be. But if my relationship with my wife or my children or my grandson, if any of those take precedent over the relationship I have with God, then guess what? I need to rethink some things. God should come first. And I know a lot of people get uncomfortable when you talk about things like that. But my devotion to God should be deeper and stronger than the love I have for my wife or my children or my grandson or my parents or my siblings or anyone else. It's called a sacrifice. And sometimes sacrificing things hurt. I think it probably should hurt. We should understand that there are things that we are willingly giving up. There are things that we are willingly letting go of. But the truth is, if we're not willing to let go of them, if we're not willing to sacrifice them, if we're not willing to lay them on the altar and completely give them up, and that includes ourselves, 
then we are not worshiping God. We are worshiping another God. We are worshiping an idol. Whether it's a relationship, a job, entertainment, sports, whatever it is that you place higher than your devotion to God is now an idol. And Paul says we are to be living sacrifices, holy. That means set apart, different. So when you do take part in entertainment or relationships, they are to be godly and wholesome. We're not supposed to fit into the mold of this world. That's what it means to be conformed. It's like taking and rolling out a batch of cookie dough and taking cookie cutters and stamping out the shapes. Don't fit in the mold of this world. Don't look like what the world says you're supposed to look like. It says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's a daily process and it happens through the Holy Spirit. That's one of the benefits of having the Spirit of God dwell within us. When we confess that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, when we confess that we are sinners in need of that Savior, when we are immersed in His name, it says those sins are wiped away and His Spirit lives within us and His Spirit is what helps us to do what Paul talks about here because sometimes it's difficult to let go of things. Sometimes it's difficult to say, I'm not going to pursue that any longer. But the Holy Spirit is there. Every day it says we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's where that word repent comes from. It means to have a new mind. And I wish I could stand here this morning and tell you that I always get this right, but I don't want to lie. Sometimes I still struggle. Sometimes I still have to stop and say, Hey, Lee, is that really more important? Is that really what you should be listening to? Is that really what you should be thinking about? Is there something you could be doing other than that that would give God glory and further His kingdom? And sometimes the answer is yes. So we have to stop and look at ourselves. We have to stop and examine ourselves. And we have to decide that we are going to live to please God. And I think I've gotten the slides out of order, but there should be a slide up there that says living to please God. And we can only do that when we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We can only do that when we are immersed believers. Because God has promised He will help us. He has given us the Spirit so that when we're tackling some of these issues, His Spirit will convict us and say, hey, Maybe you don't need to watch that. Maybe you don't need to go there. Maybe you need to rethink your schedule this week. His Holy Spirit will convict us and say, don't do that. And we need to listen. We need to obey. And His Holy Spirit will say, instead of doing that, why don't you do this? The Holy Spirit will help us align our schedule so that we are pursuing the right things first. And then the Holy Spirit will help us understand His Word and show us where we need to be going and what we need to be doing. But it requires obedience on our part. It requires us going to the altar to use that image and kneeling down and taking ourselves and putting ourselves on the altar and completely giving it to God. Every single second, every single breath, and you may say to yourself, well, that means I have to give up this or I can't do that or I can't go there. And you know what? That's right. That's exactly right. Psalm 19, verse 14. 
says, this is a prayer. It says, may the words of my mouth, may the things I say, may the meditation of my heart, and understanding that's poetic language, the meditation of your heart is the things that you desire, your deepest desires and thoughts. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Hebrews eleven six. 6, in the midst of all those people that live by faith, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But then James defines what that faith looks like. It means taking everything that you have, everything that you own, everything that you are, and giving it to God. Now, the truth is, and this is how we'll close this morning, the truth is, is, Sometimes we mess up and sometimes we make mistakes. We make bad choices. Sometimes we don't get it. I've been there. You've been there. You were trying, but you stumbled. That's okay. It's not okay that you stumble. But when you stumble, you get back up. Scripture says he's right there with you. And if you can't get up on your own, you know what he does? He reaches down and he picks you up. King David in Psalm 40 says he reached down into the pit and pick me up. He'll pick you up. He'll dust you off just like parents and grandparents do with their kids. Probably every one of us has picked up a crying young and then wiped the dust off and it's okay. Now let's go. And that's what God does for us. And all He wants is our best. All He wants is us. So I want to close by reading these two verses again and we'll look at, look at them again next week and the following week and look at different pieces to it. It says, Brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, and this is why, when Paul says in view, think about what God has done for you. If you can't think about anything else, think about what Jesus did for you on the cross. In view of that, God's mercy. In view of Jesus hanging on the cross for me and you, Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. That is your worship, not the songs you sing, not how many Bible verses you memorize, not how many times you come to church. Those things are important. But your worship is giving everything you have to Jesus Christ. Paul says that is your worship. He says don't be conformed to this age. Don't live the way the world says we should live. But be transformed daily through the power of the Spirit, changing the way you think by the renewing of your mind. And then Paul says, and then you'll be able to discern the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You ever ask yourself, what is God's will for my life? I wish God would tell me what I'm supposed to be doing here. What's my purpose? Paul says, when you completely give yourself to Jesus, 100% says, Jesus, I'm not holding anything back. I'm giving you myself. Here it is. Paul says, then you'll discover what God's will for your life is because He will use you. And sometimes He'll use you in places you never dreamed you would be. He'll have you doing things that you never even imagined. But you've got to let go. The things that you're holding back. He doesn't want 99.99999%. He wants 100. He wants everything. It's like the old hymn says, all to Jesus I surrender. This morning, if you've never completely, 100% given yourself to Jesus as we sing this last song, I invite you to do so.